0: to the Relational Grace Podcast, where we share the teachings of Pastor Nick Harris, who taught us that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm Jamie Russell, Pastor Harris's son. I sure hope everyone enjoyed Pastor Harris' recent series on the six impediments to personal success. I learned a ton pulling all of it together, and I hope it benefits listeners on an ongoing basis for quite some time. Now, we're excited to kick off a new series on the topic of discouragement, starting with this episode. Now, I know it doesn't sound like the most exciting or uplifting message series ever. However, it goes without saying that discouragement is something we all face to some degree. And I feel like dad's approach is very personal and in the end, highly insightful and very encouraging. Now, I have to say, working on this podcast has been a great experience for me personally over the last year and a half. We have several other projects planned down the road, but for the most part, I work on this podcast several days a week to ensure I hit my goal of releasing at least one episode a week. And, along with all my other responsibilities, it can be a grind for sure. At this point, we are publishing our 80th episode this week. When listening to this message, I thought a lot about this podcasting journey, and how there are many times where, admittedly, I can simply feel discouraged. It made me think way back to riding home from church with mom and dad all those years ago as a small kid. Back then, there were no iPads or iPhones, so it was just me in the back seat. sometimes with my big sister Amy, and other times with the two of us and our big brother Deke. We would always concentrate on not touching the back of Dad's seat because that was one way to get the glare of death from him in the rearview mirror. We would either bicker with each other, play slug bug, or simply look out the window and stare. Shoot, back then, there wasn't even a highway from downtown to our house, so we'd take the slow back roads and it probably added on 10 minutes to the drive. I remember listening to whatever it was Mom and Dad would be discussing. You couldn't really help but hear it. Almost every Sunday, Mom would listen to Dad say, I just don't think anybody heard what I was saying today, or, oh, I just didn't get my message across the way I wanted to, or, oh, attendance looked low today, they may have gone somewhere else to church. I almost feel that if I close my eyes, I can practically hear Dad going down one of those downward spirals still today. The message featured in this episode was very interesting for me to listen to from that vantage point. Dad had quite a challenge he was dealing with with this downtown church he had been handed. And quite frankly, with two additional children that my mom brought into their marriage that also required the best education they wanted for their three kids. Nothing about it was simple. And I can see how it could have been very easy for dad to become discouraged when adversity was hitting from all sides. So in a bit, we'll kick off this message and you can hear how dad set himself on a path to combat his discouragement. Now, back to what I was saying about this podcast and how at times I can get discouraged. Just like anything, it's easy to wonder if anyone is listening to this thing or if producing this podcast is making a difference to anyone. As you all have heard me ask many times, it helps this effort a great deal to give the podcast a rating as well as a written review, specifically on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So when we do get a review, it is so encouraging and it really helps squelch that discouragement that I let in. That said, I thought I would feature a listener review each of the four episodes on discouragement and thank them for their encouragement and remind them that it does a lot more than just help out the Apple, Spotify, and Google algorithms push the Relational Grace podcast higher up on the categorical directories as well as on search results, although it really does help that. This episode I'd like to feature a review by Tony S. Farah. Tony, I will call them, gave our podcast a five-star rating and wrote a review titled Excellent Teaching! Exclamation point. Tony writes, If you desire to learn foundational truths, want to get deeper in your knowledge of the Bible, the history, culture, and context, and have a greater understanding of your identity in Christ, you need to listen to this podcast. I enjoy Pastor Harris's humor and passionate delivery as he teaches. I am thankful I had the privilege on a few occasions to be in his presence while he taught and especially grateful for the opportunity to continue to benefit from his life and legacy through this resource. Well, all I can say is wow. Thanks so much, Tony, for taking the time to write this review. I think you really nailed some key elements to what makes Dad's teaching so special to my family and others. I can also promise that you'll hear the descriptor foundational truths again from me as I think it describes so much of what Dad teaches. And I do agree, he could definitely get passionate with his delivery. But moreover, thank you for the encouragement for us to continue producing this podcast week after week. Now we would love to feature new and fresh reviews in the coming weeks from some of those regulars out there like Tony. So if you can take some time and shoot us a five-star rating and go the extra step and write us up a review, that would be outstanding. Also, just be aware that it takes a few additional days for these services like Apple Podcasts and Spotify to process the reviews, so it won't be up immediately. So what do you all say we dive into this new series together? This series is clearly and simply titled Discouragement. It's a four-part series starting with this message titled Defining Discouragement.
1: I'd been pastoring First United Methodist Church in downtown Oklahoma City for a little over a year, and let me assure you, nothing was going on. People were not flocking to the church in droves. And that was not all. I had two other problems. In the first place, I was experiencing enormous opposition from the entrenched leadership within the congregation. And in the second place, a number of people were beginning to leave the church. One lady said she was leaving because I was too exciting. I'm not kidding you. She said, I'm leaving because you're too exciting. And she was afraid that my excitement was going to cause her to have a heart attack. Others were leaving because I preached too long. And still others were leaving because I preached too loudly. Now, in addition to all of this, Chris and I had three children in private schools. And it was breaking us. The fact is, we received our paychecks twice a month. You know about that. Once on the first, and the other on the 15th. And what we did was this. We used the first paycheck to pay the school bills, and we used the second paycheck to take care of all of our other expenses. And as a result of all of these things accumulating, I slowly but surely began to take my eyes off of Christ, and I began to focus them on our circumstances and then to make matters worse beloved instead of speaking to my circumstances like god's word demands i chose to do something else i began to talk about my circumstances and i talked about them to anyone who would listen and as a result of that i lost my sense of joy something that always happens when we talk about our circumstances When I find a person that's down in the mouth and beaten up, I know right away what's wrong. These are people that love to talk about their circumstances. I ran into one yesterday. I mean, I had a funeral. I didn't even get through the door of the church until a person approached me and began to attack their family. But you know what I said? I said, I'm not interested in that. I've got a funeral to preach today, so don't tell me about that. In other words, I don't want to hear negative talk. Why? Because it sucks the joy out of me. But when I'm doing the negative talking, it's worse. Are you with me? So as a result of this, I began to believe that, believe the lie that my ministry was really counting for nothing. I'd go home and say, Chris, What am I doing in this place? I'm not helping anyone. Nothing good is transpiring. I I begin to believe that lie. And as a result, I lost the drive, the push, the desire to fulfill God's calling for my life. And I found myself being overwhelmed by confusion and frustration. Now, beloved, we often see this happen to great athletes, and that's especially true of football players, and particularly those football players that play quarterback. Now, you've seen it happen. Things don't go right in the game, and the quarterback begins to grow antsy. Antsy. What we mean by that is he begins to get quick feet. He can't set his feet. His feet are always moving because he doesn't know what's coming. And as the pass rush begins to close in, the quarterback begins to do what all antsy quarterbacks do. He begins to short hop the ball. If you ever see a quarterback who's throwing short on every pass, I can tell you right now, chalk it down, he's scared. Then as the incompletions mount, he begins to force the ball to his receivers, and this results in interceptions, and that only increases his frustration. And the more frustrated the quarterback becomes, the more discouraged he becomes. I've seen this condition of discouragement on the face of any number of quarterbacks, especially as they stand on the sidelines. You could look at their eyes. Look at their eyes. Sometimes, just wait till the camera gets on and look into their eyes. And you'll see they really don't want to go back out on the field. They'd rather just sit out the rest of the game. They don't want to go back out there and be subject to that. They'd rather just sit the rest of the game out. And at that moment, a lot of them would quit if they could. Well, that's how I felt at First Church some three decades ago. I wanted to give up. Chris will tell you that. I really did. I just wanted to quit. But then in the depths of despair, I decided to do something creative. I decided to give my problems to God. Because suddenly it occurred to me that I don't have any problems, God does. And so I just said to him, God, you got some problems. Here it is. I give them to you. And when I did this, God suddenly began to show me some things about discouragement. First, that's what he revealed to me, that I was going through the pits of discouragement. And so, as I begin to see these things God began to show me, I've shared these things with thousands of people over the years. And I want to share these things with you. I especially want to talk to those of you who feel that you're close to being in that abyss of despair today. Now, you may be discouraged about your marriage. Hello? You may be discouraged about your jobs. Your finances, your futures, your children, or your health. All of those things may be discouraging you. And what I want to do is this. I want to share with you what I've discovered about this condition called discouragement. And one of those things is this. I have found, now now mark this down. I have found that discouragement gets most acute when this one particular circumstance is allowed to arise in our life. And that circumstance is this. Discouragement becomes acute when we begin to find ourselves blocked off from the cherished goals that we have set for ourselves in life. Now let me say it again. Discouragement becomes most acute when we begin to find ourselves blocked off from the cherished goals that we have set for ourselves in life. And that situation can be devastating. Now listen to Pastor. Anytime you begin to feel that you're being prevented from achieving your cherished goals, you will be victimized by this thing called discouragement. Now let me cite the example. I don't know any other example to use but myself, but I'll use this one. When I was in college in the late 50s and early 60s, the Letterman's Club at our school engraved the name of the outstanding athlete on a large trophy. It was called the the Harmon Trophy in honor of our coach. I never said anything to anybody about wanting that award, but I can tell you this. Deep down inside, I wanted it so badly I could taste it. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I really, really wanted it. And I must say that every year I was in the running for it, finishing either second or third, But as a freshman and a sophomore, there were several outstanding upperclassmen that deserved the award far more than me, and I knew that. That was no secret. So I didn't expect to get the award, and I didn't. However, my junior year was a totally different thing. It was my best year athletically, and I felt it was now my turn to be recognized. But to make a long story short, I didn't receive the award as a junior either. One of my very best friends, as a matter of fact, the guy that was my best friend totally in college, was given the award in a close vote. Now, I knew he was an outstanding athlete. And in my heart, I knew that he was very deserving. And of course, there was always next year, so that was okay. That the next year would not prove to be my year either. I had a bad back that year. I was plagued by a separated shoulder, and I continued to try my best. I worked hard. I really wanted that award. I had one more shot at it, and I did everything I could. But when I would think about these things, there was no question in my mind that I didn't deserve that trophy. I wasn't being good enough to get it. So I would push myself harder and harder and harder to perform better, but I I couldn't. There were limitations, and I began to see that cherished gold slip away. I didn't get better as I forced myself. I got worse. And my pain would often be so great that I couldn't force myself to even move. Therefore, I knew that I would never receive the trophy. You see, being awarded the trophy was simply beyond my control. And therefore, the road to my goal was blocked, and I felt hopeless. And every time I would think about it, the discouragement level would grow and grow. It over a stupid trophy, I just felt Constantly, like I had a blanket thrown over me. Now, beloved, I can assure you of this. The condition of discouragement has always thrived on feelings of helplessness. I can tell you that the moment you feel helpless, you're going to begin to feel discouraged. In fact, there's a real spiritual principle involved here, which is this our spiritual enemy gets beside himself with joy when he finds us feeling helpless. He delights. In our feelings of helplessness. He's ecstatic because he knows that if he can make us feel helpless, he can discourage us, and he knows that no one is immune to it. Remember this. In the wilderness of Judea, remember that? He goes out and tempts Jesus. He even tried to discourage Jesus of Nazareth. And if he tried to discourage Jesus, it's a dead dog cinch He's going to try to discourage you. Now, I find it interesting when I look at the assault that Satan made against Jesus. I find it interesting when I look at his sense of timing. Think about it. When did the evil one choose to attack Jesus? When Jesus was strong and at his very best? No, no, no. No, you know the answer. It was when Jesus was at his weakest. Satan didn't come against him until Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And understand this, he's not going to come against you when you're the strongest. He's going to come against you when you feel helpless and alone. And that is when he's going to assault you. Now let me share with you what our spiritual enemy aims to do when he attacks us. His goal... Is to prevent us from walking in victory. His goal is to compromise our witness. His goal is to prevent us from experiencing physical or emotional stability. His goal is to keep our marriages in disarray. And how does he attempt to do all of these things? The answer is this. He attempts to do these things through blinding us. That's his approach. That is how he works in this area of discouragement. He blinds us. Now, I can promise you this. He will do everything in His power to keep us from being able to see the solution. You see, if He can keep us blind, there are solutions, but in our blindness, He keeps us from seeing, a lot of times, what's the most obvious to us. And if He succeeds in His attempts to blind us, we'll begin to grow weak and faint-hearted. Our courage will begin to be drained away. Now, let me tell you what makes this situation doubly tragic. On the inside, we may be saying something like this. Some of you, sitting here listening to me today, maybe be saying this to you We know what God's Word says. It says that we're more than conquerors. Right? But we say, look at where we are. Do we look like we're more than conquerors? And the answer is, no, we don't. And the reason why we don't look like conquerors is because we've chosen to believe in our circumstances rather than believing in the promises of God. Others of us may be saying this, we know what God's Word says. It says, greater is he that is in us than he's in the world. But do we look like we're doing greater than the world? And the answer is, no, we don't. And the reason we don't relates to the fact that we've chosen to believe in our circumstances rather than believing in the Word of God. So we find ourselves discouraged, disillusioned, and distressed, and we don't know why. We've tried and tried and tried to overcome our circumstances, but the pressure has been too great. The load has been too heavy. In our hearts, we want to go on with God, but our spiritual light has gone out, and discouragement has closed in. Now, my friends, without question, there is a spirit of discouragement loose in our world today, and it is attacking believers. It is attacking believers everywhere today. There is an oppressive spirit. I see it everywhere I go. Every church in which I preach, I see this oppressive spirit of hopelessness that is hamstringing the church of Jesus Christ across the globe. Thousands of believing people, people just like you, people just like me, will wake up this morning and find themselves in the place where there seems to be no way out. But beloved, we can have victory. There is a way out. We can be more than conquerors. I don't care which area of our lives has fallen prey to the scourge of this uh, discouragement. There is a way out. Listen to Pastor. Remember this God is on our side. And I can tell you this about your God. Your God does not want you to be discouraged. Now, did, did you get that point? And not only does He not want you to be discouraged, He'll give you the power to overcome it if you will allow Him. Now listen to me again. Our God knows as well as we do that this land of discouragement and disillusionment is an awful place to dwell. And He wants us to leave that land and He wants us to leave it now. Now as I told you earlier, I've lived in that land several times myself. But eventually I got sick and tired of living there. I wouldn't give you a dime for living in discouragement. I wouldn't give you a dime for living in hopelessness and helplessness. I'm telling you, that is no place to live because you're no fun. Hello? I found that land to be a place of slavery and oppression, so one day I decided to leave that land, and you can leave it too. In fact, if you don't leave that land, I'll tell, I promise you this, it'll destroy you. So let me give you the first key in getting out of that awful place. This is where you start. Start by recognizing the real source of your discouragement. Now, understand this. You are not discouraged because of your circumstances. That's what you think it is. You think, if I just had a better car, I wouldn't be discouraged. Hello? If I just had a better job, I wouldn't be discouraged. If I just had a better husband, I wouldn't be discouraged. If I just had a better wife, I wouldn't be discouraged. Beloved, all of that is a lie. See, your circumstances in life are only symptoms of the presence of discouragement. The actual source of your discouragement is not your circumstances. The actual source of your discouragement is a person A malignant personality often called the devil. Now, I can assure you that you cannot defeat him until you know exactly who he is. Now, I must confess to you that I myself did not know Satan's real identity for years. I thought he was a myth invented to explain the presence of evil in the world. Oh, back in my college days when I was such an intellectual, were you ever an intellectual? At one time in my life, I was an intellectual. At least, uh, if you didn't think so, I would alert you to the fact that I was. Because course, you know, I, I made great and, and monster statements that were so intellectually appropriate that it was breathtaking. Like, I pray to God if there is a God to save my soul, if I had a soul. You know, and, and I tried to explain the church's fixation on things like Satan as, as, as being a way that we... Deal with the manifestation of evil, and we have no other way but have metaphysical explanations. And if you don't understand that, come to me after church. (laughs) Now, before my second birth, I must be honest with you. I did not believe that an actual being called the devil really existed. I thought that was for ignorant people. Stupid people, uneducated people believed in the devil. I happen to be one of you now. I are one. But after my conversion experience, I began to read the pages of the New Testament, and there I found that Jesus said that a real personality existed called Satan, that he had met him face to face, and what I began to understand is that Jesus cannot lie. Therefore, there must be a being called Satan. So I began to examine this malignant personality. I began to examine how he works. And then God showed me, in the midst of all of that, as he began to assure me that there was a real presence in this world called Satan, then he began to show me some key facts. And one of the key facts he showed me was in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And it reads as follows. But if our gospel is veiled... See, a lot of people don't understand our gospel understand how somebody can die for your sins. Who didn't commit your sins. I mean, it, it's veiled. If our gospel is saying, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds have been blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. But now, you see, I began to see things clearly that I had lived blinded by the God of this world. By this being called Satan, he had kept my eyes closed to spiritual things. I did not understand the gospel because I couldn't understand the gospel. There was a veil over my eyes. But as soon as I understood that verse, I began to see things clearly. It became came clear to me that Satan really does exist and that he had once blinded my eyes so that I couldn't see what was happening. For twenty nine years he had kept me spiritually blind, using this condition to trip me up, to discourage me, and to defeat me. And at times he even used my blinded condition to overcome me. Now, let's stop for just a moment and see what this scourge of discouragement really is. Let's let, let's think about this word discouragement for a moment. It begins with the letters D I S, Dis. So this DIS is dis in discouragement means, look in your dictionary, it means to be away from or apart. Away from or apart, dis. It can also mean the reverse or the undoing of a certain thing. Think of that. The reverse or the undoing of certain things, dis. Now, the suffix meant in discouragement means the result of or the condition of. So discouragement Is the condition of being away or apart from courage. Are you with me? To be away from or apart from courage. It can also be called the condition of being undone from courage. So then, if discouragement is associated with courage or a lack thereof, then what is courage? See, that's where it comes down. We've got a dance and we have a mint and we have Courage in between. So what is courage? Well, our word comes from the Latin word cur, which means heart, and the suffix age, which means condition. Therefore, in reality, courage means a condition of the heart. Therefore, discouragement means to lose heart. What happens when you become discouraged is you lose heart heart. Now, the dictionary defines courage as that quality of mind or spirit that enables one to meet opposition or danger with calmness and firmness. So if you're discouraged, what's happening? You're not meeting your circumstances with calmness or with courage. You're being shaken. Now, courage, I can promise you, was not what I was experiencing 29 years ago at First Church. Instead of being able to meet my circumstances in opposition with courage, I yielded to discouragement. See, my spiritual enemy had deceived me, then blinded me, and then lied to me. He told me... He told my subconscious mind that I could not win, that my opposition was too powerful for me and I would eventually fail. He told me that a strong church in a downtown area is an impossibility in this day and age. He told me that no one in his right mind would drive all the way downtown past dozens of other churches to hear me preach. He said, what kind of proud guy are you that you'd think anybody would drive past another church for you? He told me that I'd done everything I could do in downtown Oklahoma City. So I should reside and go to some easier place. And I regret to tell you that I listened to every single word my spiritual enemy had to say to me that day. Every single word. And I continued to listen to that cosmic life. And as a result, I grew what? More and more discouraged. The more I believed it, the more I lost heart. I began to be ill-tempered with everyone, including my wife and children. I had trouble dragging myself out of bed in the morning. I was in a bad place. No, Now, nobody had to tell me I was in trouble. I knew it. Finally, I came to the sanctuary one day, as I did every day, and I knelt to pray. But this day it was different. I agonized before God. I knew that I could not go on that way and be a whole person. Something had to give. So I said, Father, Show me what's wrong with me. Help me overcome this thing. It's been three months since I've heard from you. And I need to hear your voice. I need for you to talk to me. Now, as you've probably deduced already, there's a very good reason why I wasn't hearing from God. It's not because God had been silent. No. I couldn't hear God speaking to me because I'd been too busy doing all the talking. God couldn't get a word in edgewise. Suddenly, when I shut my mouth and started listening for God, when I stopped talking about my circumstances and gave them to Him, He began to witness to my spirit and He revealed that He had allowed me to struggle with my problems long enough. He told me that He had allowed me to wallow in the abyss of despair until I became fully aware that I couldn't handle my problems in my own strength and wisdom, that I was willing to turn them over and surrender them to Him. Then God revealed to me in a flash of light, that I had allowed my spiritual enemy to place a spirit of discouragement upon me. Now, beloved, I'm not talking about a metaphysical being that entered into my mind or body and forced me to be discouraged. Just look at the word pneuma as it is in Greek. You you can look it up in, in, in Strong's biblical concordance. You'll see that the spirit can be an attitude as well as a fallen angel or a demon. And the moment I saw that, something changed in my mind. Immediately, I thought of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. There Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you... Is God going to do this for you? No. That you present your body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, Now, see, that used to bother me. I didn't understand what that meant. What in daylight does it mean, which is your reasonable service? Well, one day I was reading Charles Barclay, and Charles Barclay translated this out of the Greek, and here's the way he pronounced it. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body's living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is the only sensible thing for you to do. See, it only makes sense for you to do this because, like Brian said, when you are busy messing your life up. Your sin's not hurting God. What's it doing? It's destroying you. Paul said, it's only sensible to present your body on the altar because what it's going to do is it's going to make your life make sense. (laughs) And, he goes on, see, Paul would stop there. I could have had a whole sermon. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and... Be not conformed to this world. But now, look at this verb. It says be in your King James, but that is a passive participle. A participle represents an ongoing action and the passive voice indicates that the subject is being acted upon, not doing the acting. So this should be translated and do not be conformed to this world, but be you constantly being transformed moment by moment by the renewing of your mind. (laughs) <laughs> instantly I understood what I was saying. I understood. Do not be conformed, but be being transformed. It's an ongoing thing. Moment by moment. And I realized, all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, that I had to grasp hold of my mind. If I had to present my, my body, I had to also get a hold of my mind. I'm responsible. How many men... Have I met in my life, going through a midlife crisis, get to be 40, a few gray hairs appear, decide they need a new wife, new car, new house, new neighborhood, new friends, new kids. Yeah, I met all... And you know what? They all come... hundred uh, percent, I'm telling you, one hundred percent of them who have come to me, I just can't help how I feel. Yeah, you can. You want to believe a lie? Try that one on. I can't help how I feel. Well, who can help it? Yes, you can help what you do. Feel different. That's all there is to it. Just feel different. Well, you want to get me started? All of a sudden, when I began to realize this, that I can have a renewed mind, I decided the way I got a renewed mind mind was to believe new things. And all of a sudden, I said, I'm going to believe God. I'm not going to believe what I think or what society tells me. I'm believing God. God says I'm more than a conqueror, and bless God, I am. You with me? God says greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And with God's help, I have been greater. Oh, you said, Pastor, I don't think you're so hot. Well, I don't think I'm so hot either, but I think I'm a lot better than I was. I'm glad to say that a change in attitude brought about a change in my heart. See, when I got this going straight, it changed my heart. My heart was restored. I was no longer discouraged. I was encouraged. Are you with me? Now... My heart was no longer lacking in courage. I knew that with God's help, I could overcome any circumstance that the enemy had placed in my path. And that brought an end to my lack of courage. And that, my friends, is my teaching for today. Oh, yes. About the trophy. So I just forgot about it and quit thinking about it. Got on with academics and let it go. Well, they had a great big deal at this dual gymnasium one night and a friend of mine came and said you go into the gym and I said no I got finals I gotta study he said I think you ought to go over there and I said no I don't think I ought to go over there I think I need to study I think you ought to go over there I don't think I ought to go over there and he said I think you ought to go over there and I'm going to drag you if I have to I thought what in the world is that all about well I get there tonight and they make the presentation and guess what I don't know whether it was pity I'm I may have got the pity boat that night. I don't know. But after four years of coming in second and third, I guess somebody had pity on me. And there was the trophy with my name. And it's still in the trophy case (laughs) with my name on it. Now, I'm simply telling you this. Sometimes it's best just to turn loose of these things. But you know what? That name on that trophy never made me a buck. Never got me a better church. My beautiful wife didn't even know I won it until years thereafter. I attracted her without a trophy. I don't know how, but I did. See, what I'm saying to you is some of the things that we get discouraged about are not worth, are not worth the effort. Give them to God. It does. She just said it. Diane just said it It takes too much energy. You have to work too hard to maintain these things. You know it's like? It's like bitterness. Don't be bitter. That's a big job to be bitter. You have to carry a lot of weight around,
0: a lot of baggage. Okay, so that's the teaching for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. If you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to connect with Ariel Ministries on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our email list at arielministries.com. That's Ariel spelled A-R-I-E-L. We look forward to keeping you updated on upcoming episodes and projects. If you would like to support the missional efforts of Aerial Ministries in Tharaka, Kenya with Each One Feed One, we'd like to remind you that 10% of all donations to Aerial Ministries will support this missional effort. Visit arielministries.com give for online donations and other methods of giving. To learn more about the Tharaka mission, you can visit arielministries.com missions. You can also listen to episode 26 for a deeper dive into how our relationship with Each One Feed One and the McCarter family started over 35 years ago, where we are today, and where we're headed in the future.